Welcome to the Dover Download Podcast, your weekly look at what's going on in Dover, what's going in in Dover, and all things Dover-related. My name is Chris Parker, and I'm the Deputy City Manager here in Dover, and I'm going to walk you through all of that, plus more. In continuation of Dover's 400 celebrations, we're going to have our second episode in a series discussing policies of the era over the past 50 years. Last episode was the 1970s, and that rolls right into today's episode, the 1980s. We're going to talk with Andy Galt, who was on the council starting in 1983 and became the mayor in the later part of the decade. Good morning, Mayor Galt. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. If you could give the listener a brief introduction to yourself and let them know a little bit about your background. Certainly. i was born in Dover. Uh, my father was uh, Dr. Galt, a physician in Dover for 47 years. And I was raised here in Dover, attended Horn Street School, Dover High School, graduated in 1971, and attended Dartmouth College, uh, and then went on to get a master's degree in uh, physics at Iowa State University. I was in the solar energy business for a few years, had a company here in Dover, Granite State Solar Industries. Uh, we were located in the old Weiss Lawrence factory on 6th Street, mm. which is now a cellar hole. I've been active in the in the community in, in many areas. Presently, I'm on the board of trustees at the Wentworth Home, where I've served there uh, in various positions for 15 or more years. Served on the city council, very active in my church, uh, church historian, uh, just having completed writing a uh, church history in addition to a 400, Dover 400 book uh, on the Heritage Walks. So if I do my math right, if you were on the council in 1983, you were approximately 30. What inspires a 30-year-old to get involved with local politics? That's a good story. Uh, shortly prior to my going on the city council, there was a zoning change that was proposed from my end of Central Avenue between Oak Street and Glenwood Avenue that would transform a vastly uh, residential district into offices and commercial. And the neighbors were upset with the proposal, and there was, in addition, potential changes to Central Avenue. And so I went from door to door uh, talking with the neighbors and talking with the, uh, the folks in the area, and urged them to come down to City Hall and speak out at the public hearings for the, the zoning changes. Shortly after that, uh, Tom Duffy, who was on the city council at the time, spoke to me and said, we've got a, a vacancy on the planning board. Would you be interested in putting in for it? He was on the appointments committee at the time. And so I filled out an application, submitted it to the city clerk, and heard nothing. <laughs> the application apparently never made it to the council. I didn't find that out until a public hearing for the Wackenhut proposal, which was also going on at this mm -hmm. point in time, which was a proposal to join the police and fire departments into one department and privatize it to a company called Wackenhut. There was a public hearing. I had gone down to the library and reviewed the contract that was proposed. And at the time, Ward 1's representative had resigned from the city council. That was Arnold Bucky Peters, uh, stepped down partway through his term. 
And so Ward 1 was no longer represented during this whole uh, major debate over what to do with the fire and police departments. And it was a huge controversy, and lots of people got up and spoke at the public hearing. And I spoke and recommended that anyone who was interested in it to go read the contract at, at the library, that my interpretation of the contract was that it was fairly well written and protected Dover fairly well. But the bottom line question was, do we want to privatize the police and fire department? And after... That one of the firemen who was standing next to me by the door leaned over and said, that sounds like a campaign speech for city council. And I smiled at him and said, maybe. And Tom Duffy came up to me afterwards and said, you should run. He said, uh, what, why didn't you uh, fill out the application for the planning board? I said, I did. And he said, I never got it. We, we never got it. I said, Oh, okay. At that point, I decided that I would file for city council. And I ran. I had one opponent uh, for the position. And I won by a two-to-one margin in a special election. Uh, Bucky had resigned early enough that it required a special election. Okay. So I found myself on the city council. And I was appointed. Bucky had been on the planning board as the city council's rep. So I was asked if I wanted to take that slot. Yeah. And I said, absolutely, because that's what I wanted in the first place. Which could have <laughs> See, you ended up on the planning board. So I ended up on the planning board and on the city council, which I'm not sure I was the, the chosen one that, that the administration wanted to be on the city council. But they got me on the planning board and they got me on the city council. So I was there. Uh, and... Thoroughly enjoyed serving as, as a city councilor uh, from Ward 1. I was a representative from Ward 1 for my entire time on the council. I had several people ask if I would please run at large because uh, they wanted to support me. But I said, no, I'm, I'm content representing my ward, my area of the, of the community. That's how I ended up on the, on the city council. It was, it was a result of being dissatisfied with zoning and some of the development that was being proposed for my area of town that got me interested in taking part and doing something about it. So if my memory is correct, the Central Avenue work you referenced, that was a continuation of the widening that had happened from Weeks Traffic Circle, now Weeks Crossing, down through Mary Street. The idea was it was going to come all the way down to Oak Street, and that was defeated. It did not... Right continue and for 40 years we've had the uh, the layout that we've had so the zoning though did did get changed at some point i don't know if it was that time frame or maybe a little later because it is it was it was it later. Is office zone now yeah though part of it is we created a hospital zone at one point around obviously when we're douglas hospital uh as they continued to expand yeah so you're on the council you enjoy being on the council at the time, my, my recollection is that was when the council appointed itself its own mayor. So over yeah. time, you became the mayor. How did that come about? Yes, at that point in time, the, the city councilors themselves selected the mayor and the mayor pro temp uh, to be the one who would lead them and their meetings and those activities. Uh, it was not publicly elected. 
when I, my first full term on the city council, I, I came on and Ray Hennessy was, was still mayor. And that was a partial term for me. Bob Whiting was mayor the following uh, term. And that was a very difficult election because there were a number of people on the city council at that point in time that wanted to be mayor. And so a number of them were campaigning. There were only nine of us to start with. Right. You've got to have five votes. And if there's three people or four people trying to be mayor, they're not going to get five votes. And we went something like, I don't remember, it's an ungodly number of, of votes, and finally ended up with Bucky Peters as, as mayor. And God rest his soul, Bucky sometimes could put his foot in his mouth and accomplished that just before the inauguration and embarrassed people, and Bob Whiting ended up being selected as mayor. So Bucky resigns, you take his spot, and then he runs again? Then he ran again at, at large. At large, okay. And got back on the council. And Bob Whiting was mayor. Then they changed in, in the following election, they changed the way the mayor was selected in that the mayor's term was reset to be only one year. Okay. Which meant that each year the council had to reselect. And was that because you were still doing staggered terms at the time? It wasn't all nine elected at once? It was all nine elected at once. Okay. Uh, but the, the theory was that if you were guaranteed only one year as mayor, then more than one person could become mayor in that two-year period. And so it might reduce the competition uh -huh. among the councilors. Okay. Uh, I don't know if it did or not, but... It's, it's now publicly elected, so right. it's, it's a moot point. The year that I was selected, I didn't put in to be mayor. Uh, it was not my intention uh, to become mayor. But that particular year, there were two individuals on the council who wanted to be mayor, but they could not get the support of enough people to, to get the, the five. And so I had several members of the council come to me and ask, would you please consider being mayor? We can't vote for the others, mm -hmm. and we need somebody that would that would serve. And so I offered to do it. My takeaway from that is that during this period, there was not a lot of kumbaya on the council, that there was a lot of, maybe not fractious, but certainly there were a lot of different individualities on the council. There, were, there had been a lot of strong personalities on the council uh, in previous years. There were people who had been on the council for a long time, certainly knew how the system worked, had a lot of respect and support within the community individually, and they all had different ideas and, and, and opinions and, and so forth. Somehow I managed to have a peaceful, what I believe was a, was a relatively peaceful and calm council, even though we had some, some really difficult decisions to make during those two years. I think it goes back to something that I learned from my father. One of those things that you don't realize you're learning yeah. until many years later and you suddenly realize, oh, that has to have been where I got it. That everyone, uh, no matter where they're from or what they have or don't have, deserves to be treated with respect and that everyone's voice deserves to be heard. And so I went out of my way working with the, my colleagues on the council to reach consensus on as many decisions and policies as I could, as we could. We had 
our share of 5-4 votes for certain, but those 5 and 4 changed. Yeah. We had a we had a mix. We had Good. we we certainly had partisan politics represented on the council. We had some very staunch dyed in the wool Republicans and staunch dyed in the wool Democrats. I was actually at that time a registered Republican, but the Democrats on the on the council looked at me and said, "Are you a Democrat?" And I said, "No." <laughs> I'm just looking at each individual situation and making my own decision as to which is the most appropriate right. side to, to take. Which is what you should be doing at the local level. Which is what you should be doing at the local level. And that was the attitude and and the direction that I tried to direct counsel in, to let's talk about the issues and let's decide what is right and what is the most appropriate thing to do in each of these cases. So you wanted to legislate? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I, I wanted compromise. I, I wanted to make sure that anything, any decision that we made that was going to affect a large number of people would not adversely affect a small number of people. I wanted to make sure that, that we weren't doing any harm in the decisions that we, were, that we were making. Not everybody would be happy. Sure. And we knew that. And more cases than not, uh, if nobody was happy around the table when we got done with our discussions, then I figured we'd done our job. Everyone won. Everybody had won. You mentioned some decisions, and you mentioned the police fire privatization. What are some of the other policies and activities that your councils looked at? Well, when I came on the council, we were dealing with the toll land landfill, hmm. a super fund waste site. Uh, and what are we going to do with that? And how much are we going to end up paying for for what we had ourselves as a community uh, dumped out there? We had the sewage treatment plant downtown. And when I was mayor, we voted to move that and to relocate that so that we could rejuvenate the, the waterfront, which finally is happening. Thank you. It's finally happening. It's only took 36 years. But that was a decision. We were in trouble with growth in Dover, which why I got on the council in the first, ended up sure. on the council in the first place, looking at some of the developments that were being proposed. So the so, Meadows, I assume, was one of those types of projects that I think, if, if I remember correctly, that's about the era when we started seeing more multifamily. Yes. Uh, some of the developments that were being proposed that were coming in were considered by many to be out of scale or out of place uh, or out of style with the community, uh, the neighborhoods or what have you. And a lot of condominium projects were being proposed and, and were being built, uh, multifamily uh, apartment complexes, development on land that shouldn't be built on because of there were slopes or or marshy, boggy areas. And it seemed like things were getting out of control. One of the first things that we tackled when I was mayor was the aquifer protection ordinance. Uh, we realized that we needed the cooperation of other communities, Madbury and, and Summersworth and, and others, because our wells drew water from sure. underground and those boundaries extended into other communities and we needed the other communities to be on board with us. So there was a lot of, of cooperation building that took place that Rennie Perry as city manager and the, the council as well worked toward to, to get cooperation with the other communities for that. Our master plan was 
way outdated. Yeah. Our zoning laws didn't even uh, align with state law anymore. And so we set about a complete rewrite of the master plan and actually passed an interim growth ordinance right. to stop a lot of the development until we had a chance to get that master plan in place and then some of the zoning to undergird it. And all of that was while I was on the council. It was when I was mayor, I one of the things that I remember most was all the ribbons that I cut. <laughs> I lost count of the number of ribbons. <laughs> my, my mother collected newspaper clippings at any time my picture got in Foster's and all the articles about all the things that I cut ribbons for and all the stores and the businesses and things. And the file folder that I found when we cleaned out the house was, was massive because huh. I was in, the, in Foster's probably once a week, uh, yeah. if not more, because of all the businesses that were starting up and, and going booming in, in Dover. So growth, the master plan, and, and getting the zoning in place. To, to try to protect and slow down some of it and, and to get a handle on it. I remember maybe five years ago, could be a little earlier than that, I, when I was still the planning director, I did a, a presentation to the council because at the time we were still hearing there was unrepentant growth. And I provided a stat that the aughts, in some degree the early tens, were pretty decent-sized growth, but when you compared it to the 80s, it was blown out of the water. And that when you look over that 50-year period, only the 90s, particularly affected by the the recession in the late uh, late 80s that carried over into the early 90s, um, that the amount of housing starts in the 80s was like a 1,000 more than the, the decade before and after. Yeah. That uh, you had a, a high spike after Pease opened, uh, the Air Force Base opened, you had a high spike in the late 50s, early 60s, and then it was fairly flat. And then the 80s, it was like someone said, oh, we, we need to develop here. We've never been here before. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, you know, it's, it's all in our memories, right? People yes. see what you see. And, and I contend that part of why the odds and tens looked heavy was because it was no longer in the woods behind something else. It was now on the main drag. And you saw it much more visibly. Ivan's Lane next to Tuttle's when you had that sort of thing where, where it was right there. Right there. Then uh, people said, oh, there's growth happening. But when it was in someone else's backyard, you didn't notice it. Didn't notice. And that's what was happening in the 80s was you had the whole mast road, as you mentioned, the uh, the paddocks. And uh, it was supposed to be a whole eight different paddocks all along mast road that, that ended up not happening. But, yeah, it's interesting to, to hear that perspective. Yeah. Uh, something else, I went back through my, my own file folder of materials from when I was on the council and discovered that uh, another thing that we had voted on and brought into play was the uh, sprinkler ordinance that required sprinklers in all multi-unit mm -hmm. uh, development, new development. Sure. And that staved off having to build new fire stations, reduce fire damage and loss of life. Uh, from fires. Shortly after we implemented it, there, was, there were a couple of fires in multi-unit houses, and the only damage was in the room that the fire was in. Good. Uh, as opposed to losing an entire unit or, or building. Of course, ultimately, North End Fire Station mm -hmm. came into being anyway, which was something else that we got when I was on the council, was the Liberty Mutual campus. They announced that they were coming into, that they were coming into town, and that was 
when Bob Whiting was mayor, we did the rezoning uh, on 6th Street to allow them to build out there and provided the infrastructure, the sewer and water uh, service to the area to support that. They didn't build for another 10 years. Right. And now the property's for sale. So we, we have come full, full circle. So I'm curious, when you come into office, Bob Steele is the manager, and as you mentioned, Rennie Perry was uh, in your latter years. What was it like recruiting and hiring a city manager? That was a challenge. If I remember right, uh, we had George Kay as interim between Bob's retirement from public service and hiring Rennie, and he did a nice job of, of holding things together. Once we had somebody that, that we could count on to keep the, the ship going, we relied in part upon the uh, New Hampshire Municipal Association mm -hmm. uh, to come up with the job description and to help us advertise it. Interviewing uh, individuals for the position uh, was fascinating talking to them. We, we knew what Bob Steele had been like. Uh, we had personal experience with him. It was interesting to delve into individuals' perspectives on how they interacted with the city and the city council and, and in that situation. We were fortunate in getting ready. Uh, he did a did a very nice job. He was young like some of us were <laughs> as well, with a young family coming into Dover, and that was it was good for us to to have his energy and his devotion. You mentioned earlier newspaper articles. I found one when I was cleaning out an office or a closet in City Hall once that was uh, an article recounting the gala that was held in his honor at Kachigo Country Club. And I imagine that this would never fly today. The city paid for a limo to go to Tennyson Avenue, where he, he and his family were living, pick him up and bring him to the gala. And I can just imagine now if someone tried to throw a, a, a gala, and B, pay for a limo to pay pick for you a up. limo. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, it was a different time. Yeah, it, it, they they were different times. There are two stories that I'm hoping that you can share with the listener. The first is, I believe, if I, if I have my history right that the Christmas tree lighting started under you as the mayor. Is that? Yeah. I know that's coming up. Yes, that's that's correct. I was approached by a resident in Dover, uh, Betty Kutcher, who wanted to establish a living Christmas tree for the children of Dover. And she didn't know how to begin, didn't know where to start. And so I sat down with her uh, and we talked about options that we could follow, and suggestion was made to approach the schools and see if uh, the children might be interested in, in donating small change uh, so that we could move a tree from someplace, a live tree from somewhere, mm -hmm. and have it brought to Henry Law Park. And we found a, a, uh, a donor who was willing to, to give a tree up, and we got a tree company to come in and dig it out, put it in in Henry Law Park. And Don Heiliger was the Rex director. And he went out and watered that tree every time it, it was dry. There was a, a windstorm that came through and knocked it over. He went out in the middle of that and, and pulled it back up and staked it in. And one way or another, the tree survived and grew. And the first Christmas, the Parks Department hung lights on it, and 
we had Betty Kuchar come and throw the switch to light the, the tree. And that became an annual event. And as long as, as she was able to come out and do it, we had her lighting it. Great. And I came in my raccoon coat that I'd bought when I was in graduate school <laughs> years before. And so that became the annual event was the Christmas tree lighting. And when once Betty was no longer able to do it, uh, they handed me the light switch and said, you get to have it from now on. Nice. So the second thing I'd like to hear your perspective on is I believe that just before your, your initial term or during your initial term, the city divested itself of Wentworth Douglas Hospital. What was that like and what, what impacts or associations do you have with the hospital? The, the hospital had been a city hospital uh, at its inception. But by the 1980s, it was basically running itself, was no longer really fit under the purview of the city. Decisions needed to be made, uh, and changes in direction, construction, and so forth had to be made very quickly. And they couldn't rely upon the city to continue to uh, provide support and, and that sort of thing for them. So they basically outgrew us if you will. The mayor served on the board of trustees and had for since its inception. Yeah. The laws and ordinances were changed and uh, the city no longer was a partner in the, in the hospital, right. uh, which considering where it is today was right. a good thing. Right. One of the things that I was able to do though uh, as mayor was be present at the ribbon cutting and dedication of the what was then the new wing, okay. uh, which is the back section of the hospital away from Central Avenue, that was dedicated when George H.W. Bush was vice president, which dates it back into the 80s. Right. <laughs> uh, and so I was on the podium with him and welcomed him to the city, which was an honor for me. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I guess the third story that I just thought of is, is you had been talking earlier about ribbon cutting and opening new businesses. During your term on that council was when the city sold the mill. For those that don't know, the city obtained the, the mill that is the highlight of downtown now uh, for back taxes in the 40s and owned it, maintained it. I think maintained might be quotes. Quotation yeah. marks, air quotes. Um, then in the mid-80s, I believe, is when the city decided enough was enough and this probably was not a piece of real estate we should be holding. Yes, and that was sold to uh, Tim Pearson and, and Joe Sautel, and they started the rehabilitation of, of the mills, and that was probably the smartest thing Dover right. did for a, a long time. Set that in motion, and we were able to save that mill, and it's now a showpiece. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the, the icon of the community, really. Yep, absolutely. Another item that was, that was done tail end of the 80s was the uh, replacement of the Garrison Hill Tower. Right, which you were involved in. Which I was involved in, and, and Rennie, city manager at the time okay. as well. We had, a, we had suddenly a working relationship. Uh, I was mayor and was president of the Park and Tower Committee, and Rennie, the new city manager, was very pleasant to work with and willing to work with us and willing to, to see something happen up there. And so all of a sudden the dam broke and we were able to, to get 
cooperation with the city and, and were able to actually do the replacement of the tower Good. and turn it back into a park. Another icon. Another, yep, another icon in the city and another, another uh, part of our heritage and Absolutely. Our, our environment that, that is still with us today and not covered with apartments or something else. What made you end your council career? What, what led you to say, I've done what I needed to do and I'm, I'm ready to move on? Or was the voter deciding that for you? No, the voter didn't decide that for me. Uh, my own personal life decided that for me. Um, at the time, my marriage broke up, and so I wasn't sure where I was going to be living. I'd put in the uh, paperwork to run again in 89, but because my living situation was uncertain, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue living in Ward 1. And given that uncertainty, I didn't feel it was right to continue. So I withdrew from the from the election in the middle of the election period. Uh, so my name was still on the ballot. Uh, and when the when the ballots were counted, I had I had publicly supported my opponent, uh, Jerry Reese, I believe. Oh. And I had publicly supported Jerry. But when the votes were counted, I still ended up with a third of the votes. <laughs> Um, but no, it was, it was personal domicile issues, whether I was going to be able yep. to stay in Ward 1 or not. And over the years, you, you decided you'd done your time and you didn't want to come back? or Yeah, once I got off, yeah. I realized how much time I had spent. When I was growing up, my father being a doctor, I people kept asking me, do you want to be a doctor? And I, and I kept, then my answer was no, because I wanted to spend time with my family. So what did I do? I started a family, and then I ran for city council. And so I ended up spending more time away than at home, and that didn't do my family any good. So ironically, I ended up being like my father and, and being involved in a lot of things and, and not having as much time as I wanted with the family. So and what, another thing you learned from him. Another thing I learned from him, yes. So looking back, was it a good experience? Is it something you're proud to have, have done? I very much enjoyed serving on the city council. I'm not sure I would, would enjoy it nearly as much today because the environment is so different. People are much less tolerant of opposing viewpoints. There seems to be less of a willingness to have an open mind about topics and and. and issues. And I'm not sure that public service is as appreciated as it was in my day. I'd like to think that we can get back to that someday. But I was very proud of, of what I was able to accomplish and, and what we were able to do as a, as a group. I had some very fine people to work with on the council. I didn't agree with them on everything. They didn't agree with me on everything. But we worked together uh, for the betterment of the city. Well, as we wrap up, I want to thank you for your time both today and 40 years ago. Uh, it's great to finally meet you because I've seen your name on a lot of legislation and a lot of history. I, I particularly have dug through a lot of, of uh, materials over the past 25 years, and your name is one that frequently comes up, uh, as you mentioned, whether it's the wastewater treatment plant, whether it's some zoning elements, whether it's the general tenor of the community. I think a lot of it goes back to that period you served and Appreciate you coming in today and appreciate your sharing your knowledge and experience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you.
With almost 400 years of history, Dover's got a lot to tell. Up next, Mike Gillis is going to walk us through what happened this week. In the early 1900s, boxing was a popular sport in Dover and across the country, attracting hundreds and even thousands of people. That was the case this week in Dover in 1900. On the evening of November 19, 1900, 300 people filed into Lowell's Opera House for an evening of boxing, hosted by the Dover Athletic Association. The fans warmed up with a bout between Charles Huffy of Dover and George Little of Newburyport, Massachusetts. Huffy then filled in on a second bout after another boxer bailed out. Then came a break. W.H. Gale took to the ring with his banjo and entertained the crowd with a banjo solo, some comedic music, and witty sayings of the day. The crowd cheered, but it was the next event they had all been waiting for. The highlight of the night was a 10-round boxing match featuring Billy Chisholm of Lowell, Massachusetts against Dover's own Fred Leary. As the bout progressed and the fans cheered them on, both boxers exhibited impressive skill and endurance, but in the sixth round, Dover police patrolman Cornell, one of the officers on duty, intervened to halt the fight. Cornell had misjudged Leary's condition after Chisholm delivered a solid right-hand punch. Despite Leary appearing unfazed and ready to continue, the crowd was left bewildered when the patrolman ordered the fight to stop. The sudden stoppage caused a stir among the spectators who urged the officer to let the match resume. Recognizing his error, Cornell retracted his decision, but it was too late. Chisholm had already exited the ring and chose not to return. Leary waited for a chance to re-engage, but eventually withdrew, leaving the match unresolved. The intense bout, characterized by its unrelenting pace and the fighter's resilience, was ultimately declared a draw. Coincidentally, the fight happened on the same night that the offices of the local newspaper, Foster's Daily Democrat, was destroyed by fire. Despite the fire, the newspaper still managed to publish a four-page edition of the paper the following day. It included a rousing account of the boxing match from the night before. Thanks for listening to the Dover Download this week. If you like what you heard, subscribe through your favorite podcast aggregator. And if you have something you want to hear a topic on, let us know. Finally, this is just one of the many ways we share information about the city of Dover. You can subscribe to the Dover Downloads email newsletter every week or other newsletters that we have by going to the City of Dover homepage, www.dover.nh.gov. Have a great week.